the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Women tend to overprepare and underestimate when it comes to their own readiness to try something new. Today's guest, Emma Isaacs, didn't draw up a plan or list her goals. She doesn't believe in work-life balance, and yet somehow she managed to create a multi-million dollar global organization and be recognized as a prominent voice in women's leadership, all while raising six young children. Emma's philosophy is to dive in headfirst, and wing it. Emma is founder and CEO of Business Chicks. She's the author of the book, Winging It, Stop Thinking, Start Doing, Why Action Beats Planning Every Time. Welcome, Emma. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Joan. It's great to be here. So, Emma, let's start off by talking a little bit about your background. You dropped out of college and started a company when you were 18. Can you tell us about that experience? Yeah, absolutely. So you can probably tell from my accent that I'm not from here. I'm Australian originally and moved to California five years ago now. So we've been living in the States for that time. And of my six children, half of them have Australian accents and half of them have American (laughs) accents, um, which is great. Um, But yeah, the the backstory is really that I've always been an entrepreneur. So I've never really worked for anyone else throughout my career. Um, I started my first company when I was 18 years old. As you said, Joan, after dropping out of university and that in itself was a little bit of a tricky decision that I made for my parents to accept. I come from a very academic family and of all the grandchildren I'm the only one without a university degree Um, but for me I really felt sure that learning in a university lecture and um, you know it just wasn't for me it wasn't going fast enough and I really wanted to get out into the real world and experiment and, and learn things myself so I dropped out of uni and it was about the same time that I met someone just at a barbecue one weekend and we got talking she asked me what I was up to and I said I just made the decision to, to leave university but I was studying business and wanted to um, major in human resources and she let me know she had a recruitment company so in I went for an interview got the job um, and soon after her and her business partner split ways you know all very amicably they were the best of friends but as he was walking out the door he turned around and said to her if you're going to offer equity to anyone in this company you'd offer it to that young kid sitting over there and that and he pointed at me and the reason he said that was because even at a very 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 early age I had realized that the way to get ahead was to have a huge amount of optimism and enthusiasm in everything that you did so I would be the first to arrive at that office before 8 a.m. every single day I'd be the last person to leave after 8 p.m. I made sure that I was um, you know as useful and as helpful as possible so I remember when I started in that company you know the logo was a different color to the paint on the wall so I got my dad in to paint the walls the right color and I saw that we were all answering the phone in a different way so I read a little manual of how to answer the phone um, you know I just really tried to make sure that um, I was invaluable to them so that's how I got my start in entrepreneurship I um, bought into that business with, with um, some savings that I'd had through my one and only job waitressing um, throughout school and for those few months while I went to college and that was my first business I had that company for seven years and it was a great success we um, built it to a, um, a workforce of about 45 people and won a host of awards and soon after 
a girlfriend invited me along to an event run by a networking organization called Business Chicks. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, that is the worst company name I've ever heard. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's insulting to women. It's derogatory. I'm, you know, I'm a feminist and I, I believe in, you know, equal rights for men and women, of course, but um, I advocate for women everywhere I go and I'm a professional entrepreneur and I'm not going to anything that calls themselves chicks. You know, that's just not for me. And she said, listen, you must get over yourself and come along and, experience this so I, I went along to the business chicks event and it was like nothing else I'd ever seen before you know people were really supportive of one another they're hugging and high-fiving and they were, it was just a really really beautiful um, environment and I remember going back to my recruitment company and encouraging everyone to become members and a few months later I, I bought that business um, I heard <laughs> it was for sale and I, I bought the business so that was 15 years ago now um, we started with 200 members we now have over half a million members across the globe and um, you know I'm just I'm still as excited about the organization as I was 15 years ago so that's a little bit about the the backstory Joan. Well you know Emma when I received your book Winging It I loved everything about it and and here's why so I had started a career after college and I got married and then I had decided to be a stay-at-home kind of work from home wife and mother and so then for the, the next 17 years, that was what I had done. And after doing that, I pretty much lost sense of who I was. And so all the work that I'm doing now is from a, a point of my life in middle age, mind you, in my 40s, when I had really lost my identity and was trying to reclaim it. That was the seed of the work. What took place after that was because I was changing our relationship, my 23-year marriage ended and then my mother and my sister died. So within a period of six months, my marriage ended. I had this self-esteem crisis. My mother died. My sister died. My oldest son left for college. And so everything that I'm doing is from that period of my life. But the part that I loved about your book, when I go out and I speak or I'm interviewed, people will say to me, okay, so how did you create this radio show and this multimedia communications company and this digital magazine? And often I have to think about it, but... Honestly, it was because I was winging it. In the beginning, I had no idea what I was doing. I just went for it and figured it out as I went along. And so when you say, you know, action, it beats planning every time. I'm a living example of your philosophy, and I wanted to share that with you. Mm, that's beautiful, and thank you so much for letting me into to your, your story. And um, that's an incredible achievement to triumph over all that uh, adversity and, and I couldn't agree with you more I mean through my work at Business Chicks of building this organization we've been very very blessed to work alongside incredibly successful people you know people like Sir Richard Branson, Ariana Huffington, Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, Brene Brown all these people I've brought out um, to both the US and, and Australia and toured with them so I've got to spend meaningful time alongside them and you know, it's the, the common themes are there. I, I studied these people, and what I learned, you know, parallels your experience. They didn't know what they were doing when they started out. You know, what separates those people um, from perhaps the people who are stuck and living in inertia is that they got into action. They didn't exactly know what they were doing. They didn't have an, a really, really set, clear plan for it. They didn't have a roadmap for how they were going to get there. But they just put one foot in front of the other, and as you did, they they just began and. I think there's a real there's a real beauty and a magic in that, and really that's what the book is, you know, based on. It's these learnings from these amazing people who have done just that, like you did. So, Emma, these are scary times that we're living in right now. Have you adjusted mm. any of your beliefs due to what we're experiencing in the world today, or do you think it's really the appropriate time to just go for something? Yeah, that's a great. Great, great, great question. Um, and obviously, it's been such a challenging time for so many people, you know, whether you're in business or not. And we have certainly had to adjust, um, you know, perhaps not our thinking, but certainly adjust our business model, certainly adjust the way in which we deliver services. So we make a lot of our revenues through these large um, you know, live events. So we'll bring two or 3,000 women together in a room and present amazing speakers. So when um, the pandemic hit, we, you know, that part of our business was completely decimated. Um, it, it really has brought to the fore, um, you know, really great leaders and really strong leadership. And I'd like to think that we we fall into that bucket. Um, you know, when when the world went into lockdown, 
I called the team together and I have a CEO in the business as well. And I just said to them, you know, listen, we're, we're going to go through this as gently as possible. We're going to do it together. We're going to, um, you know, dig deep. And ultimately how we want to um, play this is with the end in mind. And no one knows when the end is coming, whether, you know, we can all be allowed out of our homes and back to business in six months or 12 months or, or two years. But what I said to the team was this, you know, we want to emerge from this and be proud of the way we handled ourselves. We want to use this time to innovate. We want to use this time to create. Um, and we want to use this time to support one another. And that all sounds really, really great. Um, you know, I suppose philosophically, but how does that play out when you're actually in a business that's, you know, losing money and, and people are, um, you know, people are scared about their job security and their partners are losing their jobs and, you know, they're worried about their health. So, you know, I don't want to minimise this time at all or downplay it all, at all because it's, it's been had such a huge impact. I think, I think the thing that I always um, fall back on and you ask about changing the thinking is I've always tried to have this philosophy of being kind to myself and, you know, really trying to say to myself, you're doing your best. Like in every single moment, you're doing your best. And I'm sure you've had many, many, many moments like that in your life as well. You know, just returning to this this idea that we can be a lot kinder and, and more gentle on ourselves. And, um, you know, that plays out with my parenting as well. As you said, I have six young kids. They range from 11. Um, I have an 11-year-old, 9, 7, 5, 3, and 3 months. The little guy's uh, a little oh. newy. Yeah, he's gorgeous. He's great. Um you know, and, and you can imagine, you can just imagine the chaos that, that um, is our household at times. And I'll always fall back to that, that thinking of, you know what, well, I'm doing my best in every moment. It's not always, it's far from perfect. It's mostly not, not perfect. But I do just try to draw on that thinking and, and, and say to myself, you know, you're doing your best. And, and that generally works for me. So, Emma, let's stay with that for a moment. As you said, you have six children, um, ranging from <laughs> three months to 11, and God bless you from one mother to another. <laughs> but, um, you know, having six children alone without trying to run a business, it's, you know, it's mind-boggling. I can remember during the time when my children were little and I was trying to work out of the house, I can remember one day mm. being on a business call with a gentleman, and I was literally locked in my upstairs bathroom with both of my boys banging mm. on the door, and I was trying to sound professional. And finally, the man let me <laughs> off the hook, and he said, it's okay, I have kids. But what are some of your favorite hacks that enable you to get anything done? <laughs> That's a great question. That's a beautiful story as well. And and hasn't it just been wonderful in the pandemic, you know, seeing humanity kind of, uh, you know, come to light we, we no longer have to sort of hide in the bathroom and, and pretend like we don't have children you know I mean it's um it's just been great we've I've yeah. really enjoyed you know I mean we're, we're all living on Zoom and um you know I've just released this book and I'm doing podcasts and it's it's wonderful and there's been many times my kids have walked in and and you know the interviewer said oh no it's fine let, you know, let them be and it's it's just lovely to see that people are you know truly these days you know having being allowed to bring their whole selves to work so I think that's really really fun um okay so let's talk about some some hacks um because I love this stuff I mean I think more than anything um what people don't realize is that time is your absolute number one asset you know and we all have to get a little bit obsessed with, you know, thinking about how we spend our time and where we put our time and how we can get a little bit more of it. And, you know, constantly asking ourselves, is this what I want to be doing in this moment? Is there someone else who could feasibly be doing this jo this job or task better than me and perhaps um, faster than me and perhaps, you know, more, more cheaply than, than I can be doing it? Because we all know that, um, you know, if we sat down and did an exercise and worked out how much we're worth um, an hour, we'd quickly figure out that we can get other people to do it for a lot more, um, you know, a lot more affordably and effectively. So but in terms of the, the juggle around the house, um, I'm really, really into systems. So, um, you know, we, I make sure I have different places in the house, but I've got four young girls and, and two little guys. So I make sure that there's, you know, hairbrushes and, um, detangler spray in like three three places in the house um i make sure there's a pair of scissors in three or four places in the house um you know i make sure that when we get up in the morning all the kids lunch boxes are lined up in alphabetical order um you know i'm, I'm just constantly trying to look for ways that bring a little bit of order to the chaos and mm. um you know help us all out because you do spend a lot of time looking for things um each day 
Um, I'm a big proponent of the idea of um, doing things now. So when you think of um, something that needs to be done, whether that's buying a kid's birthday present or, I don't know, um, booking a doctor's appointment, don't write it on a list and, and let it sit there for the next you know, couple of weeks. Just get into action and, and, and do it now. What else would I say? The systems are really important in terms of doing it now. That's, that's another really great uh, little hack. Um, you know, I think... It's difficult and I, I completely understand that not everyone can afford childcare, you know, and, and childcare comes in so many different forms. And, you know, living in America, we certainly don't have the support of families. So we have to have, um, you know, some help around the house with, our, um, with some babysitters, which has been really, really useful. So I think managing those relationships and, and having really open lines of communication is, is really, really important. And, you know, making sure that you um, reward the people that support you if you're lucky enough to have help um, with raising your family. And I think also it's, it's true, like as your kids get a little bit older, they also learn to pitch in and, and, and do some chores, which, um, you know, I'm, I'm desperately trying to encourage them to do that because I want them to be independent. Um, people. So yeah, I'd say it's it's definitely a team. And Emma, we hear so much about achieving work-life balance. And I know that when women, you know, they experience chaos in their home and you've been using the word controlled chaos. And I want to talk about that. When they, when things Mm. don't go the way they plan, they tend to think they're doing something wrong and then they start beating themselves up. So what do you say Mm. about work-life balance and working in this controlled chaos? How does this all tie together? Well, for for me, the idea of work-life balance is it's a little bit hard to um, wrap my head around. And what I mean by that is when, when you say the word work-life balance, what comes to mind for me is someone standing there, and, and typically a, a woman, it's a, you know, it falls to a woman, it's a woman's problem, typically a woman standing there with her arms stretched out, you know, looking like a, a set of scales, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, the idea of work-life balance kind of means that you've got to have your work and your life perfectly balanced at all times in this kind of perfect equilibrium and it's just not a reality that any of us can attain it's completely elusive to think that so instead of trying to strive for this you know unrealistic ideal that we should have everything completely 50 50 all the time um you know i'm constantly just trying to be present in whatever activity i'm doing so when i'm working i'm trying to be completely present in my work of course that's very very hard at the moment but um you know i will try and shut my door and, and say to the kids listen mommy needs half an hour to get this done and when i'm parenting i'm i'm trying to be completely present in that activity and again I fail all the time, but that means, you know, putting the phone away and, and trying to be where I am at any one moment. Um, I think also when I talk about it in the book a little bit, work-life balance and, and trying to, you know, get get more of it. I mean, what we're, what we're saying when we talk about work-life balance is people just want to get more living into their life, right? They just mm-hmm. want to be able to find more time to enjoy themselves. They want to be able to find more time to do the things that give them energy. They want to find more time to do the things that they enjoy. And for me, a big part of that is learning um, and practicing this idea of saying no. So for me in my life so far, I, I really try and excel in just two areas, and that's my work and, and um, you know, my home life. Um, I'm a pretty lousy friend. You know, I've got a very, very close set of girlfriends that I keep in contact with, and they're, they're very forgiving if I don't call them for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, but I'm 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 not running around saying yes to every single event and social gathering and activity, and you know I'm focused um, on my work and on my family. I'm I'm not running marathons or exercising, you know, once or twice a day. I'm, you know, I'm with my family or, or in my business. So I, I think this idea of um, really practicing saying no to the things that don't give you energy is is really really important as well. So Emma, you're a boss who is described as being a delight. Those two words, boss and delight, don't usually go together. So what type of boss are you? What's your approach to running a company? I love that. Um, I I think if you spoke to any of my people, um, you know, they'd say to you that I'm a kind leader. um, I'm hopefully a generous leader. Um, They'd say I listen well. um, But they'd also say that I'm, I'm, you know, a, a pretty firm leader. So I'm not someone who shies away from making the difficult calls. Um, you know, I think we have to remember that business is, is actually quite easy. You know, you just have to make more money than you spend. And, um, you know, at times that, that, that takes making hard decisions. Um, so I think they'd tell you that, you know, I'm an entrepreneur at heart and um, a, a great leader, but also someone who um, 
has really explored this notion of being liked and, and people pleasing throughout their career because I think um, leadership is not for everyone and, and being a boss is, is not for everyone. And if you have the disease to please or if you you know really feel the need to be liked by every single person who comes into your life, you're going to struggle to be a strong leader. So, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely um, not perfect and completely fallible as every single human is. But I think um, ultimately they'd say that I'm someone who is kind and generous but also can make tough decisions. And you know, it's interesting, Joan, I've had the business for 15 years now, and in that time, we've probably had six or seven people who have worked in the company for four or five years and then, you know, spread their wings and gone somewhere else and then returned to, to business trips and done another three or four years. Um, you know, my CEO in the business, she's on her third stint of working alongside me. She worked in my recruitment company for many years, and then um, she had a break somewhere else and came to across to business chicks and did four years there and then went somewhere else and came back into the CEO role. So I think that might tell you something about the culture that we've built and the way that we're able to not only attract people, but, um, you know, walk alongside them and help develop their careers at the same time. And it absolutely does, because what it shows is that you're a relationship builder. You're not someone who burns bridges or, you know, tries to see what they can get from someone. You're all about cultivating win-win situations and relationships. And that's why you've done as well as you have. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think if you look at the two companies that I've run, one was a recruitment company and now One's a membership organization, um, and both of those businesses rely on one thing, and that's people and relationships. And I think that's something that we can all spend more time focusing on. You know, I'm someone who is known to write um, 600 holiday cards at the end of the year, and a lot of people might think, oh, gosh, that's such a silly use of a founder's time to be, you know, sitting there writing um, holiday cards. And I remember someone coming into my business, um, and she was she was new to the company, and she saw me sitting there with these piles of cards and my pen, and she said to another one of the employees, oh, my gosh, like, surely someone else can be doing that for her. Like, this is not the best use of her time. And the employee, um, the other employee who been with me for years said you're not getting it you know for Emma this is this is this is her work you know her work is to see people her work is to appreciate people her work is to make people feel better and it's to build those relationships and you know I, I love what Dr Lois Frankel says about relationships and she says when you need a relationship it's too late to build one and that's so true you know I mean and we've seen that um, play out time and time time and time again this year during the pandemic you know we when we had to pivot our entire business model to online delivery of events. You know, I had to call in all these favors of speakers, um, you know, that have spoken for us over the years. And I had to say to them, listen, guys, you know, 80% of our business has been wiped out. And, you know, here's me calling in a favor. And, you know, will you do X, Y, Z for, for me? And, you know, they, they all said yes, because if you treat people well, and if you're kind, and if you give them value, and if you're doing favors all the time, there's, there's an emotional equity there and people will feel feel more um, inclined to help you and and, and, and want to be there for you. So I, I think relationships are really, really important, whether that's with your clients or your team or your suppliers or, or whoever it is. So we should always be investing in them for sure. The book is Winging It, Stop Thinking, Start Doing, Why Action Beats Planning Every Time. If you'd like to get more information about Emma and her work, you can visit emmaisaacs.com. Emma, thank you so much for joining us. It has been such a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Joan. Appreciate it. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. 
We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining us today to talk about preparing for an upcoming surgery is Lori Gardner, a registered nurse, patient advocate, and board-certified health and wellness coach. Lori assists people with all aspects of their health care. Welcome, Lori. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Joan. So, Lori, surgery is a big deal. Before anyone agrees to having surgery, what should be considered? Well, first, Joan, they should be aware of the details of the surgery, what the benefits and risks are, and what would happen if they didn't have the surgery. You know, ask your surgeon if you were to have the surgery, how long does the benefit last? You know, people don't always ask that question, but you could have a surgery and maybe it's going to last two years, but that's important information to know. Find out if there are different techniques for the surgery and why your surgeon does it the way he or she does over another. Also ask if there are alternatives to surgery, such as medical or non-surgical alternatives, or could a watchful waiting procedure be the option? You know, they should find out how many of these types of surgeries the surgeon does each year and compare it to other surgeons, especially at those at big centers for excellence. You know, do you want to have a doc that does 20 surgeries a year or 150? Uh, also, you should do research on the surgeon's outcomes. There's a lot of websites that you can check out to see what their outcomes are, their complication rates, and also check on the hospital's complication infection rates. This can be important as well. It can matter greatly where you have the surgery as well as the surgeon performing it. So it's worth doing this research. Find out what type of anesthesia you're going to be given and who the anesthesiologist is and what their credentials are. I usually like to recommend they ask to see and meet this physician before surgery. They don't always have the option, but you need to ask. Also ask, very important, what is the recovery like? How long will you be in the hospital? Will you need to go to a rehab facility before going home? Is any special equipment needed after surgery or home care assistance? It's equally important to ask the cost of the surgery. Make sure the surgeon, hospital, anesthesiologist, and any other specialists involved are in your insurance network. If you don't, you could be hit with some serious bills. So a lot of research to be done, but um, most times we have enough ample time to do this research. Just don't always stop at the first one. So whenever surgery is suggested, is it a good idea to get a second opinion? Definitely, Joan. A second opinion can be so useful. And Nowadays, many insurance companies require it because we all realize that more information means better decision making. And getting us, I usually recommend getting a center, um, getting second opinion at a center of excellence where they actually see more cases, they might have more experience. It's just more information in your bucket to make a decision with because the more information you have, the better decision you can make. Sometimes, actually, a third opinion may be needed for complex situations, Joan. So, Lori, if it's determined that surgery is the best course of treatment, how does someone prepare for an upcoming surgery? I stress that it's important not only to be prepared physically, but also mentally for an upcoming surgery. You really need to follow any of the preoperative instructions the surgeon and the medical team provide you, but you can do more for yourself. You can eat plenty of protein to promote wound healing and boost your immune system. Eat a high-fiber diet of fruits and vegetables to keep your GI system healthy when you're not moving as much after surgery. Avoid sugar and processed foods. Increase your physical activity ahead of time so you really are in pretty good physical stamina, have good physical stamina before you um, go to surgery. Lose any extra weight you might have. Get lots of sleep. Discuss any fears or anxieties you have with a friend. It's important to mentally be prepared. I will add that this one is a big one people don't always think of, but envision and focus on your positive outcome you want to get from your body and how it will heal well after surgery. And lastly, I would say that we always put together with our clients, and I recommend everybody have what we call a hospital toolkit bag, almost like a grab-and-go bag. In that bag, you have a list of your medications with the doses, how often you take it, any supplements you take, list your medical conditions, any kind of past surgeries you have, insurance cards or copies of your advanced directive, healthcare proxy document, pulse, power of attorney, name of your emergency contact person, list of your physicians, and certainly a notebook and pen to take notes when in the hospital. Or hopefully you have a loved one that can do that because a lot's going on in that hospital and you really do need to take some notes. So there's other things like cell phone and charger, but, you know, there's a lot to get prepared, but everybody can do it with this guidance and this toolkit. Lori, very quickly, is it a good idea for anyone to have a grab-and-go bag ready? Yes, Joan. In fact, even when we open up new cases where somebody may not be getting surgery, part of the intake is organizing all of this information so it's in one place. So yes, it's not 
dissimilar from pregnant women when they tell them months ahead of time before they're going in for their baby, for their birth, to have that bag ready to go, grab and go bag. Frequently, people in an emergency, you know, they're, you know, they're going around, they get to the hospital, what med- medications are you on? Well, patient may not be able to talk. The other person has no idea. It could be a wife, husband, or somebody that thinks maybe they should have known them, but they don't. So this is a perfect tool to have ready to go at any point. I think it's a great idea. It's just part of our emergency readiness planning. So if you'd like to learn more about Lori, about her work, about planning for an upcoming surgery, you can visit her website, healthlinkadvocates.com. Or as always, to hear more from Lori, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Lori. We'll be right back. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. It can be argued that leadership is the most complex of all human endeavors. Today's guest, Jock Olink, a retired U.S. Navy SEAL officer, teaches how to become an effective leader. He joins us today to discuss how we can understand the leadership game and win at it. Jocko was the leader of the most highly decorated special ops unit of the Iraq War. During his career, he was awarded the Silver Star, the Bronze Star, and numerous other personal and unit awards. In 2010, Jocko retired from the Navy and started a consulting firm that teaches combat leadership principles to help others build their own high-performance teams. Jocko is a New York Times bestselling author and host of Jocko Podcast. His new book is Leadership Strategy and Tactics. Welcome, Jocko. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Joan. So, Jocko, leadership impacts all areas of our life. When you received SEAL training, what were you taught about being a leader? Interestingly enough, when you go through initial SEAL training, you learn almost nothing about leadership. And what you are supposed to do as you move up through the ranks of the SEAL teams, you're supposed to learn your leadership skills from the other leaders around you. Now, if you have a good leader that you happen to be in a platoon with, this can be beneficial. If you have a bad leader that you're in a platoon with, this doesn't help you at all. And actually, what I spent the last few years in the SEAL teams doing was teaching leadership to the young SEALs and also putting it into doctrine so that everyone had the same sort of fundamental leadership principle baseline. So what do you teach these SEALs? What does a strong leader look like? Well, the the things that I teach the SEALs initially are what I call the four laws of combat, which are cover and move, which is teamwork. It's working together as a team. When one part of a team is doing something, the other part of the team is helping them and supporting them. So cover and move is teamwork. Simple is the next law of combat, which is to keep things simple. If you let them get too complex, you're not going to be able to execute them. Then is, the next one is prioritize and execute. And what this is, you're going to have multiple problems out on the battlefield, and they're all going to happen at the same time. And if you try and solve all those problems at once, you won't be able to solve any of them. You'll solve none of them. So what you have to do is pick the biggest problem and focus your efforts on that until you get that problem solved. Then you can move on to the next one and so on down the line until all your problems are solved. And then the last law of combat is decentralized command, which means that on a team, everybody leads. And that's what you want. As a leader on a team, you want everybody to lead. And you might think that if I have a team of 10 people and everyone's leading, then they're all leading in different directions. And that's where it is key when you're using decentralized command that the overall leader makes sure that everybody on the team understands the mission, the goal, the end state, so that way the subordinates out there in the field can lead towards the common goal all in the same direction. So those are the first things that I teach the young SEAL leaders. And it goes from there. You know, the most important quality that I look for in a leader is that they're humble. Because Mm -hmm. if a leader's not humble, they don't listen to anybody else. And when you don't listen to anybody else, you can't be coached, you can't be trained, you already think you know everything, and you will never improve. So these are some of the things that, that I taught the young SEALs, and these are actually the things that I've been teaching in the civilian sector now for the last 10 years. What do you think is the biggest mistake people make? Do you think it's letting too much ego in? Uh, Ego is the root of many, many problems. And the first book that I wrote was called Extreme Ownership. And the, the underlying principle about that title 
is I'm not going to blame anybody else when something goes wrong. I'm not going to blame anything else. As a leader, I'm going to take ownership of the problems, and I'm going to fix them. And the biggest mistake that I see with teams or leaders is instead of taking ownership when things go wrong, they point their fingers, they blame other people, and what you end up with then is a bunch of people. Because, Joan, if we did something and something went wrong and I point my finger at you and blamed you, what would your natural reaction be? To, to get defensive. Yes, you'd get defensive. And when you got defensive, you would then point your finger at somebody else. And what we'd end up with is a whole team where no one on the team is taking ownership of the problems, and therefore the problems do not get solved. So what we have to do, and one of the biggest mistakes I see leaders make, is that they don't take ownership of problems. They blame other people or other things. Do you think another problem is that people tend to micromanage? Micromanagement is certainly a problem. And again, this comes from a little bit of ego. Uh, in some cases, because I think, well, you know, Joan, I'm the one that runs everything, so you need to check with me before you do anything, right? And it's, it's a fuel to my ego because I think I'm in control, what, when in reality all I'm doing is slowing down the process and I'm not developing you as a leader. So micromanagement is, is an absolute problem. And, and then actually you can go too far in the other direction where you're so hands-off that nobody knows what they're actually supposed to be doing. So what you need to do as a leader is find the balance between being micromanager and being too hands-off. Neither one of those extremes is correct. You need to be somewhere in the middle. Are there daily habits that strong leaders tend to have in common? Daily habits, I think that people that end up in leadership positions definitely have some you know, similar habits. I think that they like to find a good routine, and I think that they attack the things in their world that are the most important. So a leader doesn't shy away from the biggest problems. A leader doesn't shy away from a hard conversation. And I think if I was to say a common trait amongst good leaders is that not only are they humble, yes, absolutely, but on a daily basis they look at they don't shy away from from the biggest problems, they attack those things. I can remember years ago when I was an editor of part of a a magazine editorial team and I was promoted up to the executive editor. One of the most challenging things I experienced was working with the people that were once my friends, my colleagues on the same level. What would you recommend in order to make that transition easier? Yeah, and I've got a, in, in this newest book, Leadership Strategy and Tactics, I've got that exact scenario and explain some situations that I saw where that happened and I saw one individual do it well and the other individual not do it well. And so what you need to do when you get promoted from your peers, look, first of all, you have to elevate a little bit, right? You've been moved into a leadership position and guess what that means? You're going to have to lead. So you have to look at what projects need to be done. You have to look at tasks that need to happen, and you come up with a plan, and you talk to the folks about how you're going to execute it, and then you lead that plan. That's, that's fine. Now, I'm not talking about elevating yourself on such a pedestal that now you're looking down at everyone saying, well, that's right, I've been promoted because I'm better than you, and now I don't have to do the hard work anymore. You all can. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about stepping up to take a leadership position, be a leader without without putting yourself up on a pedestal. And when you get in that new position, uh, again, from personal experience, one of the challenges is learning how to be assertive without coming across as pushy or bossy. What do you teach in that area? You know, the, the easiest thing to do when it comes to being assertive is let other people come up with plans. You know, if instead of me saying, hey, Joan, you know, we've got to get this task done. Here's how I want you to do it, and I want you to do it now. I say, hey, Joan, here's the task that we've got to get done. I trust you. I know you've been doing this for a while. Let me know how you want to get it done. And, and now it's you. It's on you. You've got ownership of it. You've got, you've got a stake in your future, and that makes people more apt to do a good job, to come up with a good plan, and to execute well. If someone's in a situation, what you had just described earlier, about a boss who wants all the credit and none of the blame, On the other side, not the leader, but the employee, what can that person do to survive in that type of an environment? Oh, you know, when I've got a a boss that wants all the credit, you want to know what I do? I give it to him. I give it to him. The only part of me that really wants that credit is my ego, and I'm not going to let my ego drive my relationship with my boss. Uh, Guess what? My boss is my boss. I'm going to do a great job, and when my boss stands up and says, I want all the credit, I'm going to say, okay, great. 
here you go. Here's the credit. Nicely done. What do you want me to do next? The, it, the only thing that wants credit in a situation like that is our ego. And if you're worried about recognition, which is a little bit different, hey, I want the recognition that I got this job done. Look, you have to play the long game. Over time, that recognition, recognition will absolutely come. People know that the boss isn't the one that's actually doing all the work. No, they know that the team is part of that. And if you're part of that team and you're looking out for the team, you're going to get recognized. Now, if every time something good happens, you're jumping up and down, waving your hand, saying, give me credit, give me credit, give me credit, who wants that person on their team? Who wants to promote that person? No. Support the team. Support your boss. Keep your ego in check. If you could sum up some of the most important leadership skills, what would they be? You know, I, there's, there's one question that I get asked a lot, and that is, what should I do as a new leader? How, how can I perform well as a good leader? And in this new book, I've got a list of them, and I'll, I'll summarize them. You know, be humble. Don't act like you know everything because you don't. Listen. Treat people with respect. Take ownership of failures and mistakes. Pass credit for success up and down the chain of command. Work hard. Have integrity. And when I talk about having integrity, what I mean is do what you say and say what you do. Be balanced. I already talked about, you know, you don't want to be on the extreme of anything. Be decisive. When it comes time to make a decision, make a decision. Build relationships. And, of course, lastly, as a leader, you need to get the job done. That's what your job is to accomplish the mission. So if you want to be a good leader, you've got to get the job done. I know a few people that thought they were going to get a promotion and they never did. And so what these people do now is spend all of their time complaining about their horrible lot in life. What would you recommend that person do? Instead of complaining, what can they do in order to move up? Yeah, what I would do is do a self-assessment and see what I could have done better to so I could get promoted. And then I would actually talk to my, my boss and say, hey, boss, you know, there was this promotion that just happened, and, and I know I didn't get it, and I know that that must indicate that there's some things that I could do better. And I was wondering if I could get some feedback so that I can do a better job so that the next time there's an opportunity to step up into a leadership role, you can look at me, and I'll be ready to support, you know, you in that position. And then guess what? When you do that, you're going to get feedback, and some of that feedback might make you mad. And you know, what you, you know what's getting mad? Your ego is getting mad. So put your ego in check. Take the criticism, make adjustments, and keep performing well until you get the, do get the promotion you wanted. And I'll say something else. One of the biggest mistakes that people make when they're trying to get promoted is trying to get promoted. Their focus is on getting promoted instead of focusing on doing a good job, instead of focusing on supporting the team. And if that's where your focus is, people notice that. And people notice that what you're doing is trying to get yourself promoted, and people don't want to work with people that are just looking out for themselves. So don't do that. Instead, support the team, support the mission, look out for your teammates, and eventually you will get promoted. The book is Leadership Strategy and Tactics. Jocko, where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work? Well, I've written a bunch of books. I've written eight books, four of which are for adults and four of which are for kids. So any of those books is a good way to kind of read about me and the things that I think about. I, I'm on social media at, at Jocko Willink, and I have a, a podcast called Jocko Podcast, which is me talking about leadership really through the lens of human struggle. And do you have a website? Yeah, I have a leadership consulting company, and the website is echelonfront.com. And then I have a podcast website, which is jockopodcast.com. And as always, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, and be sure to sign up for our mailing list. Jocko, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for your service. Well, it was an honor to serve, and thank you for having me on. We'll be right back. This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures. Have you ever posted something on social media and went, oh, maybe I shouldn't have posted that? Relax. It's just social media. The great part about social media is that it's social. You can try new kinds of posts, see how they do. Maybe they find some new people who would like to know what you're about. And maybe it's a dud. Oh, well. Social media is not the be-all and end-all of what your business is or what you're doing. You running your business is the most important part. In social media, it's important that you're showing up 
that you're commenting on people who drop by your feed and that you're sharing the support of other businesses and people who you come into contact with on social media or in real life. Consistency is an important factor of social media. So next time you want to try something new, do it. Just trust yourself and give something a new opportunity to shine. If you need help with your social media for your business, give us a call. You can check out our website at smcventures.biz or visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures. Get social with Sue. Do you suffer from ingrown toenails? Hi, I am Dr. Anant Joshi, podiatrist practicing in Woodland Park, New Jersey at Advanced Foot Care of NJ LLC. Ingrown toenails occur when the toenail starts to grow into the nail groove. This can cause significant pain and discomfort. They may become infected if left untreated. Wearing badly fitting shoes usually causes ingrown toenails. The pressure from the shoes that are too narrow at the top or too tight from the side can put extra pressure on the toenails. Other causes that include toenails that are not trimmed properly, such as cutting the toenails too short or trauma to the feet due to activity including running. Having a family history of ingrown toenails can also increase a person's risk. There are several ways to treat and prevent ingrown toenails. Cutting the toenails straight across after a bath when the nails are soft. Avoid cutting the nails in a rounded pattern as it can increase the risk of inward growth. Wearing proper fitting shoes that do not have a pointy tip will prevent worsening of your ingrown toenail. If at-home care does not improve the condition, or if your toe becomes swollen, red, or painful, please visit a podiatrist who can provide the proper care, or even antibiotics. If you would like more information or to schedule an appointment, please visit our website, footpainnj.com. You have probably heard the words life coach before, but have you ever wondered what a life coach actually does? Hi, I'm Jessica L. Conrad. I'm a certified life coach and a member of the ICF New Jersey. I help women at a crossroads in life find clarity and direction. I also work with women who are dealing with infertility and reproductive disorders. Here's a list of some of the things a life coach can help you with. Identifies what we want, provides the tools and resources to help plan for the future, acts as a guide to fulfill goals and dreams, helps us powerfully reflect on what we learn about ourselves, restores a sense of control in what feels like an uncontrollable world, helps create and continue a positive cycle as we move into new ways of being and bringing on new results in our lives. To learn more or to book a free call, please visit my website at jessicalconrad.com or please follow me on Facebook at Jessica L. Conrad Life Coach. Catherine Berndorf, co-founder and medical director of the Motherhood Center, a treatment center in New York City for pregnant new moms experiencing anxiety and depression. She specializes in treating women before, during, and after pregnancy, as well as at other times of transition in their lives. Dr. Berndorf is an associate professor of psychiatry at Cornell. She was a regular mental health columnist for Self Magazine and has appeared on numerous television programs, including The Today Show, Good Morning America, MSNBC, and CNN. Dr. Berndorf is a co-author of the new book, What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions During Pregnancy and Motherhood. She's here today to discuss the Motherhood Center. Welcome, Dr. Berndorf. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Doctor, you created the Motherhood Center to provide supportive services for new and expecting moms and for women who are experiencing postpartum depression. How prevalent are these issues for mothers? Great question. Um, They are very prevalent. Uh, I think that we don't always see them because new moms tend to look like they have it all together out there. But really, we think as many as one in five and maybe even more than that, one in three, women are struggling with issues that may comprise a disorder, meaning that they actually have a real anxiety disorder or depression of some sort. So let's we can go with one in five, but I think it's probably more because people don't tell you, they don't report. So, doctor, then how does a woman know if she needs help? Hopefully, um, if someone is not feeling well and they are feeling not like themselves, that can often be the first clue, right? And now a lot of people will say, but how would I know what myself is if I'm pregnant or if I've just had a baby? That's new to me. And 
you know, I don't feel like myself. But, I, you know, it, it sort of goes outside the range of um, what feels tolerable to someone. So meaning if someone has a lot of distress, let's say they're anxious. Okay, maybe they were always anxious, but now they're anxious to a level that they really aren't tolerating well. They're, they're distressed. The anxiety is intrusive. It's always, it's happening. It's, it's making it hard for them to live their life. That's a level that one should worry about and, and thus tell someone and get help. And I would say the same thing for the depressive kinds of um, illnesses. If someone's feeling down and sad, I mean, maybe you aren't sleeping that well. Again, those things are common in pregnancy and postpartum, or you're not eating normally, or your energy level's low. People will say things like, oh, that's typical. That's what happens. Mm -hmm. But to your question, when you're outside of that range, it's something like, but I feel despairing and I feel kind of hopeless and nothing, you know, the world looks bleak. It's sort of black and white versus in color. So you start to get other symptoms that hopefully clue you or others around you or a doctor who you're talking to into the idea that something more is happening. These disorders that are highly common, postpartum depression, depression during pregnancy, postpartum OCD, OCD during pregnancy, right? All these things, you know, anxiety and depressive disorders are so treatable. So I just want to like say that loud and clear, very treatable. And there are places if you can get to the right people who can um, help you identify and treat. Doctor, thank you so much for being here with us. If you would like to get more information about the Motherhood Center and the programs that are available, you can visit themotherhoodcenter.com. <music> joining us, I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.